Welcome and bienvenidos to our new program called Next Generation, highlighting the many creative journeys of next generation leaders. In this series, I will bring you the stories of young leaders in science, literature, medicine, education, and business. Those who have chosen to reach further, travel farther, innovate, and take the risks often necessary to make a difference in their own lives, in those of their families, their communities, and someday in the world. My name is Julieta Garcia. For over 22 years, I had the great privilege of serving as president of the University of Texas at Brownsville. Through that work, I came to know the stories of many of our students that overcame great obstacles to attend college and through great sacrifice of their own and of their families, make it through. Getting to know their stories was always a great inspiration to me. So I thought I'd chase some of them down, interview them, and let you hear in their own words what they're up to now, what their challenges were, and what they hope to accomplish in the future. I promise you will be as inspired, amazed, and humbled by their accomplishments as I have been. We have the great privilege today to interview Ryan Lofton, MD, someone who's been in our community now for many years, uh, working with uh, Driscoll and doing some very important kind of work with babies and their moms often before those babies are born. So we're going to learn about the kind of medicine that uh, Dr. Lofton uh, practices here in the Valley and and how how we're great beneficiaries of his work here. Welcome, Ryan, to our show. Well, thank you so much. It is really an honor to be here and to be able to share my passion and what I love to do with uh, with you and with the with the community. So tell us, thank you very much. Tell us a little bit about um, yourself first before we get going into your medical work. Now you are um, from San Marcos originally here in Texas and grew up in the area and then went to Southwest Texas State University, the South Texas State University. But from there you went all over the place to go to school. Give us an idea of the different schools that you went to to get trained. So um, after uh, going to Southwest Texas, now Texas State, I uh, I went to medical school in Galveston at the University of Texas Medical Branch. and uh, did my, my four years on the island there. And uh, it was during that time that I, I met my wife and got married and uh, started my frequent trips here to Brownsville. Um, then, uh, because your wife happens <laughs> to be from Brownsville. So, okay. <laughs> uh, that, is, uh, that is exactly the, the case. So, for, okay. again, um, you know, going on 18 years, this has been my, my respite from all of my training and, and, and a place to get away from, from the rest of the world. Now, was she also studying in the medical field? Uh, she was. She was in nursing school there. She was and, in nursing uh, school, and her name is? Laura. Laura. Okay. So you met Laura there, and and uh, you were there for about four years or longer? Four years, yes. Okay. Uh, typical medical school curriculum. And then um, from there, I, I actually started in a uh, combined family practice and leadership preventive medicine program, uh, which was really an early entry program. So I actually split my fourth year and did a semester of studies at uh, uh, Dartmouth um, up in New Hampshire and uh, in uh, public health and uh, uh, looking at healthcare improvement and how do you how do we evaluate healthcare and and look at health systems and the way health systems interact and and make change in the system to make make care better uh, was what I was studying academically there uh, and then uh, following that uh, that that time kind of dual counted in my residency program up there um, and uh, 
went in my my internship uh, year, first year of family practice residency, and uh, found that the. Uh, uh, where was your residency? That was that was in that? Uh, in Concord, New Hampshire. So, Concord, um, yeah, okay. Dartmouth College is uh, uh, in Lebanon, but uh, in Hanover, um, but. Uh, uh, the residency program is in, in Concord. And uh, so I studied there and found that in the middle of winter when it was 20 <laughs> degrees below zero, the thing that made me most excited to get up in the morning and go to work was taking care of pregnant women. And I really enjoyed thinking about how the the pregnancy and the change of what happens in the body during pregnancy can influence disease states that women might have or how their diseases might influence their pregnancy outcome. And uh, like I said, I just fell in love with the the care of of the family and of the pregnant woman, and it's uh, it, it's just a unique time in people's lives, and it's such a, a honor to be a part of that experience um, that I I felt like I needed to pursue that more full time than I, I felt like I could as a family practice doc. Um, and especially since I wanted to do more of the high risk. So mm-hmm. um, I took a few a few months because I don't believe one should ever make any life-changing decisions during their intern year because uh, it's, it's a very, very tough year in mm-hmm. medical education and not much sleep. So I, I, I tell medical you students... Thought, I must be delirious <laughs> to be talking about taking the harder cases, right? Yeah. All the high-risk cases is what that's, you ended up doing. That's what we do. Yeah. yeah. So, so what feel then is that 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 you ended up doing? So the, the field is called maternal fetal medicine, or the older term of perinatology, uh, or taking care of the, the, the pregnant woman, her fetus, and, and caring for the transition of the child into, into the world and, and coordinating care. You know, I've heard you speak a couple of times, and, and one thing that, that struck me when you, was when you said, I'm the doctor that really no, no mother or father wants to meet because that means there might be a problem with the pregnancy or with the mom's health or with the baby's health. Tell us a little bit about that because that, it just struck me as a, as a hard field just, just for that reason alone. Yeah. Well, it, it it is the most frequent reaction people get to uh, a referral to our office is is fear, and mm-hmm. because if they're coming to see us, generally um, there's something that wasn't quite right on a test, or they are at risk for problem, or there's a concern of a problem, and so there's an unknown. There's a there's a certain amount of of just fear of what is going to going to be told to me at this visit, what's mm-hmm. going to happen. And every day I go into the office and I introduce myself to patients and, and I, you know, try to establish a, a relationship because they need to understand we're here to provide help. Now, we're not always going to give them good news. And that's the mm-hmm. really hard part of my job is, is that there are times when things are 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 bad, or there is a birth defect that is not going to be able to be corrected, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and so those are those are times when it's a very difficult job to deliver bad news. Um, but often I get to give people reassurance. This looks like it was a false positive, or we can do this follow up test and and look at this, or so the this is what news, we can do to improve your options. The wonderful news is that there's someone like you around. 
when a, a mom and a dad hear those words about there might be a problem mm-hmm. with your pregnancy. And the fact that we have you here in the Valley is really so fortunate for us. And so I want to kind of key in on that for a minute, if I, if I could. You're with, uh, with Driscoll Hospital and Driscoll Healthcare System. Is that right? Yes. Um, we're, our group is Driscoll Maternal Fetal Medicine it's, uh, okay. under the Driscoll Health System, and we're allied with Driscoll Children's Hospital in, in Corpus. But um, the health system comprises so much more going on on the ground in the local community, both here and throughout the valley, Laredo, Victoria, other places in South Texas, that it's really more than just a hospital. It's it's mm-hmm. it's a lot of care being provided here. And like in our offices, uh, the, the vast majority of the women we see and their children will never see Driscoll Children's Hospital. They will stay here with their 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 primary obstetric providers and deliver here, be taken care of by their pediatricians here, um, but will have been able to provide some guidance for, for, for how to do that safely. So you work hand-in-hand hand with the um, the obstetricians and, yes. and the uh, pediatricians, mm-hmm. but you're the specialist then that comes in to look at these high-risk um, pregnancies. And and births and so okay so you've been here now for how long in the valley? Um, well, I've been with Driscoll for right about seven years, okay. or coming up on seven years. Okay. And uh, my first day working was uh, uh, in the valley. Um, we opened our office here in Brownsville about a year and a half ago. Um, so we have a full-time office and a full-time staff that that work here in Brownsville, just off the expressway in the Driscoll Specialty Clinic building. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've uh, really been been part of of the referral patterns, and many of the doctors from here would send us to our office. And when we just had our nearest office in Harlingen, we would see their patients there. But now it's much easier for our patients to be seen here. And um, they don't have to travel as far. So you've had a lot of challenging moments, I'm sure, in your in your young career. And and one of the reasons that I wanted to interview you was because I heard about probably one of the greatest, but maybe not. Maybe this is just one of many that you deal with, where you had to separate triplets um, prior to uh, well, you tell me what you had to do because yeah. it's a fascinating story, and I want to make sure we have time to yeah. talk a little bit about that. Well, well, people always focus on the conjoined twins that we delivered and and successfully separated uh, uh, up in up in Corpus. What people forget was this was a triplet pregnancy and one of the most rare types of, of pregnancy where we had um, three babies on one placenta in two separate sacs. So it was uh, really a, uh, the the odds of that type of twinning, um, nobody really knows because there's not enough births because we'd mm-hmm. be looking into um, statistics of like one in 50 million births or one mm-hmm. in 100 million births or potentially more um, because that type of, of twinning is, uh, uh, is so uncommon and to have a, a, a set of conjoined twins um, was really uh, just amazing. We had uh, um, one umbilical cord going to the conjoined twins um, with two arteries with different blood supply because they were coming off different hearts. And so before birth, we could measure the heart rates in each of these arteries, and it would be different because each baby's 
was different, and they are different. Um, but, uh, but they were growing. But they together. were growing together, yeah. and they're fused at the at the pelvis. And so that story has certainly gotten a lot of uh, attention. Um, and but just highlights all of the complexity of what can happen in pregnancy, um, both with development of an embryo into a, a fetus mm-hmm. and a child, uh, and all of the potential risks because that type of twin is its uh, specific risks with a shared placenta for um, one part of the pregnancy. In this case, the conjoined twin versus the uh, the, the the innocent bystander stealing blood <laughs> from one of the others. It had to be screened for what we call twin-to-twin transfusion, risks of diabetes and high blood pressure and preterm labor. All of these risks are so much higher in a complex pregnancy um, that uh, I would say it, it really approached one of the, the highest risk pregnancies we've, we've managed from a purely obstetric fetal standpoint. So when you go in to do a surgery of this kind, you are at what stage of the pregnancy are you dealing with the parents? So um, it depends on when they are referred to us. Again, we, we don't provide complete obstetric care. I mean, we don't mm-hmm. do routine care. Um, so um, if if something is identified as a risk early or um, sometimes even before patients get pregnant. So so say a mom has a medical condition or a history of of, of problems in another pregnancy or, or recurrent miscarriages. Or, or she's something. older than average. Right. Or, or she's a diabetic or, herself. Or, or exactly. Or is on a medication that mm-hmm. they don't know if it's safe mm-hmm. to get pregnant on. Um, sometimes we'll see patients before they even become pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, and then say, this is what I'd recommend that we you know talk about transitioning your medicines or how do we improve your overall health to make for a safer pregnancy. Um, specifically diabetics, because because certainly we have an epidemic of, of obesity and diabetes, and and the better we control blood sugars, the better pregnancies do. And most of the birth defects that occur may happen before a, a woman even knows she's pregnant. And so, making mm-hmm. sure that you take care of yourself prior to, prior yeah. to getting pregnant is really important. I remember 100 years ago when I had my babies and <laughs> and my I was taking a nutrition course at the university and the nutritionist uh, that was teaching the course said you what you need to be doing is not worrying about your cradle and the bassinet and the things that you're thinking about. You need to be worried about buying vitamins to drink yourself right now to take yourself so that you're prepared to have this baby. And I and I remember thinking the last thing I would have thought of was prenatal vitamins because it was a brand new thing a hundred years ago. <laughs> so every year we learn better how to prepare ourselves as mothers for uh, for for pregnancy and um, and obviously your work has been monumental in helping us get there. So you deal with moms often even before the pregnancy occurs to help them think about how to prepare themselves for it. And then if there is high risk, especially like a diabetic uh, mom or an older mom, or are there maybe, other things? I mean, it, the other ones that maybe if somebody's on dialysis or they've had a kidney mm. transplant or um, other severe medical conditions that, that may influence their their own health and life. Uh, the woman with heart failure or mm-hmm. um, artificial heart valves or something really should probably talk to us about how do we optimize the the management of medications mm-hmm. around the different points of pregnancy and how do we make it as safe as possible because pregnancy can be dangerous. 
for women. And as we know, Texas um, it has one of the highest maternal mortality rates, and it's mostly related to hypertensive disorders and bleeding and, and complications during pregnancy. Mm. Um, but some of those are preventable. And, mm-hmm. and so we want to try to take into account what is someone's risk before they get pregnant um, and, and occasionally I may tell somebody that I don't recommend pregnancy uh, if, they, if they're at a substantial risk for, for dying during pregnancy. Um, I may not recommend it. Um, but our general focus is to say, how can we optimize your disease state so that we can improve your health and then have a better pregnancy? Um, we know that not all things go right, even in normal pregnancies. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, unfortunately, this is one of those deals where life doesn't always give you a guarantee. Mm-hmm. Um, but we try to alter the odds a bit if we can. It's extraordinary. So so if you are now in of all the kinds of specialties that you could have chosen, if you had it to do all over again, is this something that you that you would do? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was, uh, what, 16 years of college, medical school, residency and fellowship and a long road. Say that again for students to hear. So after high school, I did 16 years of education. So it's four years of medical school. Four years of college, four years of medical school. And then I personally did uh, five years of residencies and three years of fellowship. And so uh, eight years of training after medical school before I got my first job. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? So it was, uh, it's a long road. And, mm-hmm. and you have to to follow that path or to follow a path into medicine because the training is so long. You have to love it. It's not a job that you should go into because you want to make money or you want to have a lifestyle because um, it, it's it's really a calling. And if it's not a mm-hmm. calling, it's it's it probably would be, benefit you to find other paths. And uh, along the way, I have encountered uh, folks that that had gotten through medical school and looked for other paths. And there are other things that people with medical degrees can 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 do. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I occasionally get some some nice emails and letters from from colleagues that I, I helped choose non clinical paths when they just realized they were miserable. And mm-hmm. um, but it it's something that you have to approach as as a long game. Uh, it's, it's delayed gratification. Uh, if you think about, you know, mm-hmm. if you want to get out and get a job, medicine's not really for you not <laughs> because that's not now, it. Along the way, you held, um, you were very active in school. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were um, in the, um, you received honors for much of your participation in programs and leadership programs that you were in. Um, so you were not just always in a laboratory. I mean, did you come of this toward this um, interest later on? Did it kind of grow on you, or was this something that you had thought to do since you were um, young? You know, it's one of those things where I don't remember a, a moment of saying I really want to go into medicine. My mom will say that I wanted to be a doctor from the time I was small, but I didn't have any real role models in my family or anyone that had been mm-hmm. in medicine. Um, just seemed like the the kind of thing that just I gravitated towards, and uh, so I yeah I I did do some 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 laboratory science and and bench work uh, along the way, um, but I found that I really liked looking at, at policy and public health sides of things as well, and how do you how do you help manage populations because 
that's um, a side where y- you don't get the immediate gratification of, of seeing someone face-to-face, but if you can make a quarter percent change in the outcome for a population of 50,000 people, you've just touched more lives than you could see in a year. And and so there's there's parts of this that I really enjoy looking beyond just the clinical interaction, but how do we deal with uh, with with the other health systems? How do we deal with whether it's public health? And, and as we know, over the last couple of years, we've dealt with the, the Zika virus, um, mm-hmm. um, the, the, the small outbreak we had here um, in 2016, um, and we've worked very closely with the public health department, and um, they've done an incredibly good job of working on the 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 uh, avoiding standing water and getting rid of mosquitoes and, and spraying when necessary and trying to make things look at from a better on a, a public health st- standpoint to reduce risk. Um, but then also looking at policy when um, we had this Zika outbreak, but Medicaid wouldn't cover testing for it because nobody had ever heard of it. And so, you know, how do we get uh, get our um, state legislators and 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 uh, um, to help us and regulatory agencies to help us take care of people? And so, working through the systems to to get everybody cared for. You know, I think that's really an important thing. How you've been able to weave your very pure interest in science and your interest in medicine and your interest in applying that real time to real moms and families and 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 babies uh, but also applying it to the larger world through public policy and then activism in trying to get policy changed because you see um, before you uh, the problem real time. So it, it, not everybody does that. You realize this, right? I mean, you've you connected all the dots from the applied to the clinical to the research to the public policy part of this. That's extraordinary a path to have chosen. So I wish you well as you continue down that because we need more people who are willing to move in and out of systems like that in their careers. So I'm going to ask you a question about I mean, because you've helped so many people, so many moms. Is there, are there a few that just kind of stand out among them where you thought, you know, I was so glad to have been part of this? Um, certainly, there's there are a number that stand out in my mind. Um, another young lady from Brownsville that I I saw when we first when I first came to town and. Um, she'd contracted uh, um, fist disease during pregnancy, and which is an innocent childhood virus, except it can mm-hmm. cause problems in, in pregnancy and cause her baby to be very anemic. And her baby, when I saw her, was in heart failure and was about mm-hmm. to die. And through fetal intervention, we can actually get a needle into the um, umbilical vein of a, a very small fetus um, while continuing pregnancy and give blood transfusions to restore normal circulation and she has a a normal healthy child now (laughs) and so those types of of things certainly there's my more instant gratification Mm -hmm. were truly life-saving um you know we 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 deal with a lot of complex uh, medical and surgical conditions uh during pregnancy but um it's 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 a joy it's 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 and it's always there's always the next case. So, it's uh, you say you finished delivering the 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 triplet conjoined twin mm-hmm. set. 
And the very next day, I was in the operating room with the same surgeons that did the conjoined twins doing a what's called an exit procedure where we, we had a child that didn't have an adequate airway, and we had to have a hybrid delivery. We partially deliver the fetus so we can stabilize the airway and and, and make sure that we, we are able to, to get a child that would have died had it been delivered normally an airway before we actually finish delivery. So surgery actually occurs before we oh finish delivery. Yeah. So those are coordinated efforts and it's, it's but just like that case where we just we thought we were done with one thing and then the next day the next thing comes along and uh, so it's uh, it's one of those things I love I always love seeing patients back and getting pictures back um, and and we see people back in the next pregnancy and, and usually everything's fine in the next pregnancy we don't have to worry anymore but uh, um, those are those are good good times I've seen uh, your wall with pictures of babies on it where that have come back that have grown up and and uh, and I can just imagine the 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 life changing experiences that you've had for families in in your practice. Um, now you also mentioned that when you do this work, there was a team with you, and so when you say a team, uh, you mean doctors and nurses and surgeons, and tell us a little bit about. Mm-hmm. The sure. teams that get um, so. I mean, just our team. We work with locally in our clinic is our you know, secretaries that you know people meet people at the door, our, our registered nurses, and our sonographers that help with with making diagnosis and 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 establishing how things are going. Um, there's six um, maternal fetal medicine doctors in my group, uh, and uh, we all work interchangeably. We all rotate through the the, the, the various offices, so you. Uh, we'll see one of one of us, or you may see another was the next time because we cover so much ground. Um, but we also work with all of the pediatric specialists if we see that there's a a, a, a problem that's going to require surgery or a heart defect. We'll have the the family meet with the cardiologists or the surgeons or cardiac surgeons or the neurosurgeons prior to delivery so that when they have their baby, there's a plan in place. And it may even have some contingencies that, you know, this is what we'll do. If it goes this way, this is what we'll do. We give them a plan because it's the fear of the unknown that creates Mm -hmm. that panic. Mm -hmm. And so we want to make sure that even if things aren't going right, we give people a a path that they can can follow and they can understand who's going to be involved. Um, We also work with all of the adult specialists, so whether that's the adult cardiologists or uh, neurologists mm-hmm. or uh, psychiatrists or cardiologists. That's we we work with with everybody because to try to get the optimal care for a woman during pregnancy because it's uh, it's a scary time for a lot of doctors to take care of women um, because they're worried about medications, they're worried about things, and so um, whether it's right to stop medicine, um, you need to need to ask the question because sometimes stopping the medicine may be worse than continuing it. You know, um, I, I will, I will, on behalf of the entire Rio Grande Valley, thank you for the work that you are doing. Because I have heard, you know, so many stories are, uh, we've all heard of people having to leave the valley to to get care, and we think that that in order to get very, very good care, you must leave the valley often. And the fact is, many people don't have that option for starters, and and it's so reassuring for us to hear. You talk about yourself and your work and the team that you have um, accessible to you through Driscoll and other hospitals here in the Valley. So um, 
Uh, thank you. So thank you so much for choosing Brownsville and choosing the Valley to do your important work in and to provide such important service. So the last question that I, because we could talk all that, and I know <laughs> I've heard your stories and they're just so compelling. And so perhaps we'll have to get you back on to tell some of those stories in particular. But imagine with me for a moment that you are in front of students and you've got a hundred new I want to be a doctor students and they're looking at you to tell them whether or not this is something that they might think about doing a few words of advice uh, from you to them please I would I would say you need to feel like it's your calling and it has to be a passion Um, it's 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 too much work to just go into it um, as something to do if it's if it's just a job, you're not going to enjoy it, and um, you're not going to be successful at it. If if you find something, whether that's medicine or engineering or counseling or literature, if you find something you have passion about, that's what you should follow. And and you know, I I love my job. I love what I get to do. Um, but it's because I kept continuing despite the sacrifices that my family made for me to continue my training. Uh, we, it, it was worth it because I get to love what I do every day. Um, and if you can find something that you love, hold on to it and, and follow the dream and don't give up. And don't give up. Oh, Brian, thank you so much. We're so thrilled to have you uh, with this moment for uh, the interview, but more importantly, to have you and your family as part of our community uh, and to receive the, uh, the great gift of your expertise. Thank you for being part of our work today. And thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning in to Next Generation, a program highlighting the next generation of leaders in the Rio Grande Valley and beyond.